You know, just a few um, minutes ago, uh, Jake and Allison uh, conducted what we do here every uh, Christmas season on the Sundays. Uh, they uh, lit one of the uh, candles, the Advent candles, for us. And that's a tradition uh, that's been carried out here at our church for a number of years. Uh, sort of as Lord led us into reclaiming Advent. You know, I think that uh, we, we as evangelicals let Advent get stolen from us somehow. But to reclaim Advent in a wonderful importance to do that because in the madness of Christmas, as it's celebrated, we know that Advent is all about the promise of His coming and the promise of His return, right? And so traditions, though, help us to take hold and treasure the truths that those, tra those traditions represent. Traditions come and go. Traditions are at some level man-made. They're helpful and significant, but they come and go. But the truths behind those traditions are what we really lay hold of, right? And what are so special to our hearts. And so this morning, as we think about uh, Advent, the lighting of an Advent candle, and you've turned to Isaiah chapter 9, I just want to ask a couple of questions about the tradition that we uh, have marked here and thousands and thousands of other churches have done it this season and are also participating this morning. I have a question. Why an Advent candle? Why not an Advent rock? <laughs> or an Advent tree? Or maybe a, a bottle of Advent water. I'm sure I gave some of you just a business idea right then, okay? And if any money's made from it, it comes back here to West Park. Okay, once you know that. But why a candle? Why not a rock? Why not a tree? Why not a container of water? Well, it's because the candle is the perfect representing, uh, representation of what Advent about, is about. Advent has the idea of waiting. Waiting. That's the idea. It's a sense of waiting, not for an event, but an awaiting of someone. Someone's arrival. That's what Advent's about. And Advent, demonstrated in a candle, means that we are waiting, not in the light, but many times we're waiting in the darkness because what we're waiting on is the one who is the light. Would you stand with him, please? Let's listen to why the candle is a hope for the darkness. Now, you probably can't see your Bible now, can you? Okay, some of you say, no, you've, you've got your device, right? And I understand, you can 
use your device, but if it's not a Bible, it's, you're left to your own devices, okay? <laughs> but I want us to stand in the dark. But in the dark, listen to the hope. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have given light you have brought rejoicing before them as the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment roiled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. This is the light that shines in the darkness. This is a hope of Advent and it's the gospel of our salvation. Let's pray together. Almighty God, once again now we come into your presence and we thank you that in darkness yet there is light. We thank you that the light of your love and your truth through your Son 
has shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And we thank you that the light of the glory of God shines forth in the face of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that by your grace, those of us who are your children this morning have the light of your salvation in Christ in our hearts and the light of the hope of our Savior's return and the everlasting joy in your presence. And Lord, we pray now that you will send out your light and your truth. We pray you'll send it out into the darkness of our hearts, beginning with my own heart. Illuminate my soul, illuminate the hearts of our people. So enlighten us that we may be light in this darkness. And we would not bring gloom, but we would bring the light of the good news and hope in Jesus in our word and in our deeds. And now, Father, I pray for those that are hurting our congregation. Minister to them at this hour. We lift up those who have lost loved ones. We pray for them. And we pray for those that are struggling even now. And we ask that you will minister as only you can. And thank you, Lord, that we gather in the sure and the certain hope of Jesus Christ, who is the light of this world. And we pray it in his name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, the word Advent has the idea of waiting. It has the course the idea of waiting in darkness but in the idea of advent is promised that the darkness will not always last but there is light that is coming and it is the promise of a light that will never ever be extinguished and a darkness that will never return that is all summed up in one word, friends, and that word is hope. You know, for us as Christians, hope is not a wish. <laughs> it's not a wish. Because when you wish for something, perhaps it will happen, perhaps it won't happen. You know what hope is for Christian? It's just the unexperienced reality. It's that we have not yet fully experienced what already is reality. It is already, but not yet. <laughs> That's what hope is. It, is. it is not uncertain. It is so certain that when the Lord speaks about our hope, He uses the past tense. It's done. It's done. And yet the hope is that what has been accomplished, we will experience in complete fullness. That's what Advent is about. It's about hope. And the hope of His Advent. His arrival. Now, this morning we are reading from Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to make sure that as we read this, we understand that it is a, it is a passage that's 2,700 years old. This was 
written by Isaiah who lived and ministered over 700 years before the birth of Christ. So what we have just read this morning is 27, 2800 years old since it was written down after being proclaimed by Isaiah. But we're grateful these are not just dead words, they are living truth, right? This is the living word of God. This is hope. This is the hope of Advent. Now, look at the passage, if you would, with me for a moment. I want us just to, for a few minutes, look at it in these three ways that I think speak to us today. And I think perhaps this Christmas, maybe it speaks to us about hope as never before and brings light as never before because we are living in dark times. Notice the promise of this hope of His advent. Verse 1 says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now notice, this promise was made in very dark times. So if you go back to the context of this passage, this this statement, this promise being made by God, prophesied by Isaiah, was not in a time of great light, but in incredible darkness. Matter of fact, it was in a time in which God said judgment was already on the way. He told Isaiah that he would be faithful in his ministry, but that the judgment which was coming for the nation of Israel, for the kingdom of Judah, it was certain it's coming. As a matter of fact, he references this here as if it's already happened. The Assyrians are going to invade the northern kingdom. They're going to come through the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. Those are tribes of Israel who lived in the northern section of Israel. They're going to come by the way of the sea, which is the ancient highway that goes up across the coastal area of Mediterranean all the way over into Mesopotamia. They're coming by the way of the sea. This judgment is coming. It was fulfilled in the year 722 B.C. As we mark time, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and carried off the ten tribes into captivity. They were scattered. This had happened already in the mind of the Lord. It was certain. And so what is being captured here, to understand, this is God speaking through Isaiah in past tense of what has not happened yet in judgment, but it is so certain He already uses the past tense, even though it hasn't happened yet. That's because our God is not bound by past, present, future, right? But now notice, He says this darkness is not going to last forever. 
He said, in the latter times, there's going to come a dawning. Now notice this, the dawning's not going to come from the east, it's going to come from the north in this picture. <laughs> because there in the north, there's going to come a light that's going to shine. Do you see that? There, there's a hope that is coming. It's coming to the area of Galilee, the area of Naphtali, the area of Zebulun. That very region of northern Israel is going to have a light that is going to come. Notice he talks about this enlightenment. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, where do they live? The people in Galilee in particular. Galilee of the nations, which is surrounded and inhabited by the various nations, and yet the people of Israel also are living there. They are in darkness, living in darkness, deep darkness, but suddenly on them in Galilee, the light shines. Now, what do you think that might refer to? Because there was light that suddenly sprang up in Galilee, wasn't there? There was someone who stood up and took the scroll of Isaiah and quoted the promise of the one who was coming in the power of the Lord's Spirit, who was coming to set the captives free and bring hope and life. And then that rabbi said, This day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your reading. And in your hearing, who was that? Jesus of Nazareth in the land of Galilee, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in the land near the highway by the sea. 750 years after this prophecy, the light came to the people who were in that dark region. And what came... Light that was going to illuminate not just the land, but their hearts and their lives. You might not want to miss this tomorrow. Have you read about it? Bethlehem's star, they call it. Tomorrow is the winter solstice, you know that? Of course, the shortest day of the year for us in the northern <laughs> hemisphere. But the summer solstice tomorrow, excuse me, the winter solstice tomorrow is unlike any other in hundreds of years. Each year, the Earth's northern hemisphere enters the winter solstice on December 21st, the shortest day of the year, officially marking the start of winter. This year, the planets Jupiter and Saturn will align perfectly on December 21st to create what is commonly called the Christmas star or the star of Bethlehem. According to NASA, Jupiter and Saturn align with one another every 20 years or so, but not nearly as close together as they will be in 2020. The planets have not aligned this closely in about 400 years, nor has their alignment been visible 
occurring at night in the northern hemisphere in 800 years since the 1200s. The timing of this occurrence couldn't be more perfect. <laughs> the winter solstice may be the shortest day of the year, but it also means the longest night of the year. So there will be plenty of opportunity to take a peek at this once-in-a-lifetime star. Experts say the Christmas star will be able to be seen by the unaided eye just after sunset on December 21st. Just make sure you're facing southwest. It's also possible that the phenomena will be visible throughout the year you might want to seize this opportunity. It won't happen again for 60 years. You say, now what's the prophetic significance of that? Well, I have a very good answer. I don't have the slightest idea, okay? <laughs> and no one else does either, okay? But it's just a cool thing to think that we'll be able to see something that hasn't been seen in 800 years, and if we ever needed to see the Bethlehem star, it's this year, right? I hope we see it. But you know what? If it's obscured by clouds, the star of Bethlehem is still shining. The star of Bethlehem. Because he brings enlightenment. And... It's an enlightenment that brings enjoyment. Look what happens when the Messiah comes. This light. The light is a term for Messiah. It's an image of Messiah. Verse 3. When this light dawns on them, you will multiply the nation. It will, it will be something that brings life to the nation. You will increase the nation's joy. They will rejoice before you. As in the joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. That is when there's been a conquering of an enemy and you take captive the spoils of the enemy's possessions. It's going to be a rejoicing of a, a victory. <laughs> Over darkness. It's going to bring enlightenment. It's going, this light is going to bring enjoyment. But notice verses 4 and 5. It's also going to bring emancipation. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden. Who's the his here? The his here is the oppressor. Uh, the, the physical oppressor of the nation. And Israel has known many oppressors, has Israel not through the centuries. But the oppressor of all oppressors of God's people is not political or human or even an empire. It is spiritual oppression of the great oppressor Satan. And the promise here is the yoke of his burden. The staff that he has used to beat people down. This rod of his oppression. You, you the one coming, you will break it. As in the day of Midian. What's that? When God, through his judge, 
Gideon brought the, one of the greatest victories to the people of Israel when that handful, that, that remnant of, of the army, just a few hundred men, gave rout to an innumerable host. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be a freedom that's going to come not in a freedom that's not going to be accomplished humanly. It's not going to be accomplished politically. It's going to be a freedom that's going to come when the oppressor is overcome by the one who is the great liberator. The promised one. And what will this promised one do? He will liberate his people and he will judge the enemy. Every boot of the tramping warrior. In battle tumult, the enemies of God who have arrayed themselves against God and His people, His anointed, they will be conquered by this One who is coming and their garments will be rolled up in bloodshed And they'll be burned as fuel for the fire. This is a different kind of advent, isn't it? That's being described. So there is a promise here. There's a hope. And the hope is, it's the hope of enlightenment. Light is coming to those that are in darkness. And this enlightenment is going to be a an emotional, spiritual enlightenment that's going to bring them enjoyment and it's going to be the breaking of the yoke of the oppressor and the setting free of the people of God and a complete deliverance not worked by any army but by God Himself. Now that's something to hope for, isn't it? Now, how will this deliverance come? It's clearly, there's a hope of a great deliverance, but how's it going to come? How is this deliverance going to come? Well, the deliverance is going to come through a deliverer. (laughs) That makes sense, doesn't it? And that's the perfect sense of the Bible here. The Bible makes perfect sense that there is a deliverer who is coming to bring deliverance. I love what one preacher said, this here Bible sure clears up some of those, them there commentaries, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The Bible says there's a deliverer coming. Now notice, this deliverer is a person who brings hope. There's a promise of hope, but it's not a promise of some political change. It's not a promise of mankind's advancement. It's it's not a promise of so-called evolution. It's not a promise fulfilled by human enlightenment, falsely so-called. It is a promise which comes in a person who brings the hope to reality. Now, who is this person? Well, verse 6. Here is the deliverer. (laughs) For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now this is one of Isaiah's greatest themes. Throughout the book of Isaiah, there is this great theme of one who is coming. 
always think it's a remarkable thing and I can't help but maybe just suspect there might be a little sovereign control over this that when we read the book of Isaiah in our Bibles today, there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Just like there are 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 books of Isaiah chapters of Isaiah focus on judgment, focus on the terrible things that are going to happen to Israel and Judah, but there's a thread of hope. There's a a little thread of someone who's coming. But when you get to chapter 40, and you start to read the next 27 chapters, just like there's 27 books of the New Testament, the entire book of Isaiah changes so that it's like the dawning of a new day and the promise of a suffering Messiah who will save His people and return to bring them victory and usher in His kingdom. (laughs) That sound like any other book to you? It's like Isaiah is a miniature Bible. 66 chapters. 39 old type prophecy of judgment but a thread of hope but then bursting out in a brand new revelation of a Messiah who suffers and rises and brings redemption. I love Isaiah. I don't understand a whole lot of it. It's incredibly deep but I love the hope of this prophet that God used him to deliver. Now notice This coming deliverer, if you read Isaiah, he talks about someone who's a prophet, someone who's like a priest, and someone who's coming like a king. (laughs) There were three people who were anointed, three leaders who were appointed, anointed rather, in the old covenant. The prophet was anointed, the priest was anointed, and the king was anointed. And Isaiah talks about someone who is the anointed one, who is the messenger of God. He's the prophet. He is the one who brings salvation to the people. He's the priest. And he's the one who's going to bring the kingdom of Jehovah to this earth. He's the king. He's the anointed one. He is the Mashiach, the Messiah. In Hebrew, he is the Christos in Greek. He is Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah, the Lord of glory. That's who is being spoken of in this. Now notice, isn't this amazing? He tells us about this anointed one, this Messiah. And he talks about who Messiah is in his nature. What is going to be the nature of this anointed one is coming? Well, notice, it's very, it's an amazing, this mighty deliverer is a child who will be born and a son who will be given. Isn't that interesting? A child is born. Just the most natural occurrence. A child's born. But this one's different because with the child being born, the son is being given. Because you see, before the Messiah was Jesus, 
born of the Virgin Mary, beginning his earthly life, he was the eternal son who never knew the beginning of existence. One of the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son was given. And how was the eternal Son given? By a child being born. You see, tucked away here, here's how the hope is coming. The hope is coming in the birth of a child. A child will be born, but in the birth of the child, the son will be given. And this is going to require divine intervention and human involvement in the incarnation. A virgin shall conceive and bear a what? Son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's only one who is fully man and fully God. And that is the eternal God-man now who lives forever, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the image of incarnation. But also there's an image here, notice, of Messiah's mission. It's, it's, it's hinted at here. He's going to identify with us. He will be the child born. But from the Father, He will be the Son who is given. Do you hear the, message, the, the mission here of one who identified with us in His, his humanity, but came to satisfy the holy demands of majestic deity, there's only one. How is it shared? The Son being given. For God so loved the world that He what? Gave His one and only Son. Gave Him. To whom? To sinners. Who by His grace will believe. That whoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, hopes in Him, will not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. <laughs> Child is born who identifies with us, but He bears our sins, carries them to a cross, takes our place, suffers the wrath due for our sins, satisfies the holy justice of God, and He is the Son given. And God proved that He was satisfied with this one who was born and his son who was given when he had finished his work on the cross and he was buried three days again, later, God said, I approve of my son and showed him to be satisfied by what? Raising his son from the dead. And he ever lives. The God-man Jesus. Friends, never forget this. When Jesus... When the Son became the man, Jesus, He became man forever. God-man. There is our saving God in heaven. And He is in human form still our great Redeemer who identifies with us and His name is Jesus. Right? Whoever lives. What a hope we have here. His nature. Notice his names. Can I share those with you? 
We find out who Messiah is in His names. His nature is revealed in His names. These are not His human names. His human name is Jesus, the son of Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth. But his, the name, the title of His nature, there are not enough titles that can be given to Him. But here are four titles. He is the wonderful counselor. He is filled with wisdom for those who need the wisdom from God. He's a wonder of a counselor. He is the mighty God. The word here is El Gabor, which means He is the hero God who acts on behalf of His people. He is the mighty God who acts for His people. Notice... The Son is called the Everlasting Father. Now that doesn't seem to work. How, you know, there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then how can the Son be the, called the Everlasting Father? Because Father here does not mean the concept of a father to a son or a daughter. It means Father in the sense of the originator, the beginner, the, the one who begins something. The sustainer of something. So what does that mean? It means that the Son, who is God Himself, had no beginning. He is the origin of eternity. He is everlasting. The sustainer of eternity. The Bible says all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Everything was made by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things are held together. Who's that talking about? The Son, who is the beginner, the beginning of eternity. He is the one who is eternal. He's everlasting. And then He's the Prince of Peace. That means He's the Prince that brings peace. <laughs> he brings peace. He's not a prince that brings bondage. He's not a prince that robs people of joy. He's a prince that brings joy. He's not a prince that subjugates people so they never experience life. He's a prince who brings life. He's not a prince who is out to keep people down. He's a prince who lifts people up. <laughs> He's the prince of peace. See, Messiah is a gift. And He is a gift for all of our needs. Think about this, church, very quickly. What do we need? What does everybody need? Well, we need to know that we're on the right path. So He is the wonderful counselor. What do we need to know? We need to know that we have protection. That, that, that there's someone who's protecting us. And what is Messiah? He is the mighty God. That's protection. We need someone, something that is permanent, not something that's just for our lifetime, something that's fleeting, something that will only exist for a few decades at the most. No, we want permanence. And so what is Messiah to our need of permanence? He is the everlasting Father. Isn't it wonderful? For all you'll ever need, there'll never be a need in this life and, of course, no needs in eternity that cannot be met because 
God is eternal in Christ. A billion years from this morning, there won't be a single thing that the eternal Son, the Messiah, Jesus, will not be providing. (laughs) What do we need? We need peace. We need peace with God. We need to know that God loves us and that we're accepted by God and that the war is over. And and we need to know that we're accepted even when we know we don't measure up. And we need to know that no matter what happens, there's peace in our heart that our Lord is in control. How How is that need of peace met? It's in Messiah. He is what? The Prince of Peace. See, every need that we have, we need the path. He's the wonderful counselor. We need to know protection. He's our mighty God. We need to know permanence of life. He's the everlasting Father. We need to know peace in our heart, peace of God and peace with God. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the hope for all our needs. It's all met in Messiah. And friends, I want you to know Christ is all we need. The tragedy in our lives is that we try to live, we need Christ plus. And it's that trying after the plus that robs us of the peace. We just need Christ. He is our life. Now, how will this become reality? We close here. We've got this promise, we've got this person, but how is all this going to be provided? It's going to be provided this way. Verse 7. Of the increase of His government and of His peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. God made a promise to David. When David said, I want to build a house for you, Lord. God said, how can you build a house for me? (laughs) Heaven cannot contain me. You won't build the house. You've been a man of war. Your son, a man of peace, Solomon, will build it. But let me tell you, David, you want to build me a house? Guess what? I'm going to make you a house. That I make a covenant with you and with the house of David that from you will come the kings of my people. And from you will come one who will rule forever over the kingdom of God's people. And who is Jesus of Nazareth? Why was Jesus of Nazareth born in Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem is the birthplace of David. And out of the birthplace of David would come the son of David who would be man and God and would reign over the kingdom of God forever and ever. A king is coming. What was the question that the wise men asked? Where is he that is born? What? King of the Jews. Where is he that is born? 
king of the Jews. You know what the answer to that was? The real answer was not given to them in Bethlehem because honestly they didn't go to Bethlehem. I don't want to mess up your great Christmas scenes that you've created in your Christmas cards. The wise men weren't there, but that's okay. Uh, well, yeah, it's okay. But <laughs> they came later to the house where the small child was. And they brought their gifts. But they asked the question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Where was that question answered? How was it answered? It was answered this way on a piece of wood nailed to the top of a cross. Here was the answer. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Here is your king. You have by wicked hands crucified the Lord of glory. But you only did this under the sovereign control of God because in your great sin of crucifying your king, you have also lifted up the Lamb of God. And you have sacrificed the one who is your substitute and who satisfies the Lord. This is the king of the Jews. <laughs> He's the king of the ages. Thank God our hope is fulfilled, not just in the fact that Jesus wore a crown of thorns, and he did, but our hope is real because the Lord Jesus wears the crown of glory. He wears the diadem of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And praise God, our hope is not fulfilled just in the fact that our king wore a crown of thorns. But the reason we have hope is not that a man died, but a man lives. <laughs> and he lives forever. The God-man. And all can come to God through the mediator the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus and all who come by Him enter His kingdom. And they will never perish. That's the hope. There's a king and there's a kingdom. Notice it says there's a kingdom. Of His kingdom there will be no end. How, how's that possible? Because what did Jesus say? My kingdom is not of what? This world. My kingdom is in the world, but it's not of the world because my kingdom is in the hearts of my people. That's the kingdom where Jesus rules today on this earth. He rules, yes, as Lord, omnipotent, but His kingdom is manifested in the hearts and lives of His people. That is His kingdom. Not divided by nations, not divided by denominations, not divided by politics, but there is one kingdom and one king, and He reigns in the hearts of all who have been born again by His grace. Amen. We are a kingdom of His people. We are a kingdom of priests to God. But guess what, friends? The kingdom that is now, right now, not of this world, but is in this world spiritually in us, it is going to be in this world physically because the king is coming. <laughs> the king is coming. 
This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into glory, shall so come in like manner as you have seen Him taken up. This same Jesus, who lifted up from the Mount of Olives, He is coming back to this Mount of Olives. And when He comes back, He's coming to deal with the oppressor. He's coming to deal with the Antichrist. He's coming to deal with the false religion and false prophet. He's coming to deal with the spiritual Babylon that reigns over this world. He's coming to deal with the political Babylon. He's coming to deal with the economic Babylon that oppresses people. He is coming not to establish a republic, a democracy, capitalism, socialism. He is coming to establish His kingdom. And no one will oppose it. And the greatest life that is yet ahead for us, my friends, is living in the monarchy of the God-man-King Jesus. Praise God. That's a national hope. (laughs) It's going to happen for Israel. They're in unbelief now. They're not going to be saved because they're Israel, but one day they will look as a nation on Him whom they have pierced. They'll mourn for Him. As people mourn for a son... A nation, people will believe. Why? Because God made promises to Abraham. And God keeps His promises. And Paul said that after the nations are gathered, there will come an outpouring on the people of Israel, the Jewish people, who will believe in their Messiah What an amazing thing. But it's an international hope. Because what was said of Jesus when that elderly man looked at the baby, he said, now, Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace. Because my eyes have seen your glory. My eyes have seen this child who is a light to the nations. And He is the hope of your people Israel. He's a light to the nations. Listen, friends. He's Messiah not just to Israel. He is Messiah to all who believe. For in Him there is neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, rich or poor. There's not even privilege of male or female. All are one in Christ. He's the Savior of the world. And God has determined, you read Psalm 2. He said, it's not enough that I just give you the rule of Israel. It's not enough, my son, that I just give you the throne of David. No, 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 that's not enough. You ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. (laughs) And what is the Lord doing to honor His Son Jesus? He's sending out the value and the worth of His salvation. And from that redeeming cross, God is wrapping His arms around the nations. And my friend, pandemic comes and pandemic is at work. But let me tell you what the pandemic is doing. Under the sovereignty of God, it's bringing people to recognize there is no confidence, there's no hope, there's no assurance unless your hope is in something, someone out of this world. And that hope leads you to the light that shines in the darkness, Jesus Christ. 
My friends, listen. Don't curse the darkness. We pray for those who are hurting. We want to help, but don't curse the darkness. You be a light. <laughs> because the power of God is the good news of Jesus. But it's got to be a personal hope. What did the angels say that night that Jesus was born? What did Allison read? Fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, the hope only becomes yours when He becomes your hope. You know Jesus is the Savior. Almost all of you, almost everyone watching knows that Jesus is the Savior. But I want to ask you, do you know that you know that you know He's my Savior? My hope is in Messiah. Lord, we want to worship You for Jesus, Messiah, the name above all names. And we want to praise You that in Christ, and in Christ alone there is salvation. Lord, thank You for the hope that is in the darkness. Thank You for the light that shines. And now, Lord, may Your light shine into hearts. May the glory of God in the face of Jesus shine into hearts right now. And may people fix their hope in Christ alone. And if never before, may they say in this Advent season, He is my Savior, my hope, my King. My trust is in Him. And now, Lord, bring hope to Your people. Help us to lift up our eyes and see our redemption is drawing nigh in Jesus Christ, the coming King. And we pray this in His name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.